Good morning, Conduit. My name is Cameron. I am loud. Uh, my name is Cameron. I'm the lead pastor here at Conduit. Um, I want to share a few announcements with you as we get started this morning, and then uh, we'll move into our we'll move into our series. Um, so, some of the announcements. Probably the biggest announcement is what happened last week, right? And that's okay. Let's, uh, that's a good thing to applaud. I want to share with you just some of the numbers. As you know, last week was our, um, our kind of annual Thanksgiving event, the big, uh, the big push. And we were aiming for, you know, a thousand bags, a thousand turkeys um, uh, spread over four locations. And as I shared with you last week, you hit that mark. Um, all of those turkeys were provided for, all of those bags and more actually were provided for. We were a little over a thousand last year, or this year. So, uh, behind me on the screen are just some of kind of the number stats from, uh, from last Saturday or last Sunday. The weather was horrible. We got we got rained on, and it was cold, and we got snowed on, and everyone was wet and cold. But everyone like just everyone had great attitude, and uh, we worked really hard to ensure that we kept the main thing the main thing, which was not necessarily our comfort or how much even fun we were having in the event itself, but the main thing being the main thing of making sure that every single person, every man, woman, and child that came and interacted with one of us or at any of the locations uh, knew and understood the love of God that is in Jesus Christ to them. So uh, some of the some of the like the stats, of course, we had four locations here, the Chautauqua Center, the Resource Center, and um, Love School. What's the next slide that we have up here? I think that 197 volunteers. That's incredible. That is an incredible, that is an incredible feat. Uh, we fed over a thousand families on the day, um, and that equated to about four thousand two hundred and fifty-eight individuals fed. So, well, how do you know that number? Well, every time someone would come through the line, you know, we would um, ask them, "Hey, how many people are you planning to feed this Thanksgiving?" We want to make sure that we have a, a bag of groceries that is sufficient for your family. And so, oh, we're feeding four, I'm feeding eight or whatever. And so we would tally that number uh, just to kind of get an idea of what the span of uh, the event was. And that, of course, ended up being about 26,000 pounds of food. That's a lot of pounds of food, right? That's a lot of turkey, a lot of pie, a lot of groceries. Uh, we had 50 business and community sponsors uh, those people and businesses and organizations that helped to financially sponsor the event to offset the costs from things that we had purchased beforehand, like turkeys and pies and foil pans and advertising and cards and all of that, just to make sure everything went off without a hitch. Um, so, I mean, from the, I, I guess spent all day, um, I guess spent all day talking about like all the great things that happened, both leading up to and post that. Um, but again, I just want to say thank you so much, Conduit, for showing up in such a big way for your city, uh, for the community. I know that um, at, a lot of, at a lot of locations last week, it was like 
wow, there's a lot of volunteers here and I don't really feel like I'm doing anything, right? And let me tell you, um, you, you did something, right? Even by your presence, right? By your, your willingness to smile, your willingness to have a good attitude, even in the midst of unfavorable circumstances at those locations. Incredibly, incredibly important. So thank you, thank you, thank you, and thank you again. Um, I know there was another slide up there with just some uh, of the scheduling for this coming, for this coming month. We are in the Advent season here. Here it is. Uh, so Christmas decorating yesterday. The church looks great. Thank you for all those who showed up to do that. Uh, we are having a Conduit Kids Christmas program um, on the 19th here, 10 a.m. during our regular service. Um, and then there are some rehearsal dates there um, uh, starting at, or on the 18th from 9 to 10 a.m. here. And then our Christmas Eve service um, on Christmas Eve. Uh, coincidentally, uh, is at 7 o'clock on, uh, on Christmas Eve night. So we hope that you will choose to join us. It's always a very special, um, it's always a very special service. So I want to uh, move us into a time of prayer here um, before, we, before I preach, but also I uh, want you to be aware so that you can be in prayer. I do have permission, I do have permission to share this. That I said that I'm Cameron, I'm the lead pastor here, but we do have another pastor, Pastor Luke, right? Uh, and he is not here for the second consecutive week. Uh, pastor Luke is very, very sick. Um, he has a very bad case of COVID, um, and it's developing into pneumonia, and um, has been very sick for almost 12 days now. Um, and so we, uh, we are asking that you would please pray very diligently and very passionately for his healing. Um, he's doing everything that he can to ensure that he's doing everything that he can um, to get healthy. Um, but we're going to do everything that we can, right? There's not a, not a whole lot that we can, that we can do to, um, you know, be right there for him, although there are people that are. Um, uh, but we want to make sure that we can do what we can do from where we are, okay? And so you know, I want to take a little bit of time uh, this morning here before we go any further to lift up our brother and our pastor, Luke, um, and uh, pray for his, his swift and, uh, and quick healing. So join me in prayer, please. Gracious and loving Lord, we silence our hearts, we silence our minds, Lord, in the white noise of our minds that tends to keep us distracted, tends to keep our, our attentions and our affections busy. Lord, we pray that you would silence all of those things so that now, in this moment, we might be 100% attentive to hearing your Spirit. Lord, we thank you for your work among us. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity and the privilege to partner with you in what you're doing in this city and in this world. We thank you, Lord, for the tremendous outpouring of love and generosity 
and compassion to our city in these last weeks. Father, we pray now in this moment, in the name of Jesus, for our brother and our pastor, Luke. Lord, and we pray that where he is sitting right now, where he is laying down, whatever position he is in, Lord, that you you would, you would um, bless him, Lord, with an affirmation and a physical manifestation of your presence there right with him. Lord, that the healing power of your son Jesus would touch his body. Lord, and in the name of Jesus, all sickness, all disease, all virus, all bacteria, anything, Lord, foreign in his physical body, Lord, that you would immediately and completely bring him to healing. Heavenly Father, we pray that he would have no issues breathing. Lord, that his fever would be gone. Lord, that his appetite would return. Lord, that any physical discomfort would be um, done away with. Lord, we pray for his mental and emotional well-being, being alone, feeling isolated, Lord. Lord, would you affirm and confirm in him that he is not alone. Lord, that we are with him and that you are with him. Heavenly Father, we, we eagerly anticipate and expect his complete and his full healing through the power of Jesus, Lord. And we will continue to pray, Lord. We will continue to knock on the door of heaven in prayer, Lord, until it is answered with his healing in Jesus' name. Father, set our hearts towards you this morning. Set our hearts towards you this season as we reflect on and prepare for the coming of Jesus. Both as Jesus has come in the past, Lord, but as he will also be coming in the future. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to tie those two things together in our own souls so that we may understand and experience the importance of both. In Jesus' name, amen. If there is um, if there is one thing that it's not a it's not a new phenomenon I don't think it's not it's not something new uh, but I think that in a lot of our lives or a lot of in a lot of our experience in the last year almost two years um, we've I think we've all come to notice maybe even a little bit more significantly than we've ever noticed or known before that that the world seems to um, really love fueling a spirit of fear. Right? Like there's this, there's this sense where the world is like antagonistic towards peace in, every, in, in all of its forms. Right? Uh, the inward peace that comes from uh, knowing and living in the comfort of God's provision for us, right? The outward peace, like the manifestation of peace in the world, there seems to be always a pursuit of it, but never the, 
uh, never attaining it. Right? And there always does seem to be kind of this undercurrent of, um, of throwing logs on the fire of fear. There's even like been terms, especially in the last few years, that have been created around it. Whatever you, whatever you think about the actual details of whatever circumstance or situation, like, right, there, there does seem to be like this penchant towards noticing fear and then like stoking the fire of fear. And people have called it like fear-mongering, right? You've heard that, you've heard that firm, term? Like, oh, people are afraid. Or people are just getting comfortable. We need to make sure that they, that they, that they we, we divert them back into a spirit of or attitude of, of fear. And this can be around any, any type of uh, circumstance. In your personal life, it certainly can exist. It can, can exist in the, the general and wider world. We've seen that, that there's been a, there's been a lot of fear. And some of, some of the fear that, has been, that exists, is, I think you could say, is, is, um, is real. And some of the fear is is manufactured, and some of it is somewhere in between, and we don't we don't really know, right? Whether it be like uh, the fear of disaster striking, like absolute disaster is going to strike, or whether it be fear like in the public sector, like fear of economic collapse, or fear of huge financial inflation, or fear of fear of sickness, and fear of death. Fear of not being not being able to take care of yourself or other fear fear of things fear of shortages right fear of whatever fear of this fear of that fear of that what I've come to experience and what I've come to know generally about fear and I think when we all think honestly and talk honestly about it we can understand this to be true that fear is is usually um, we normally fear things when we have when there is a circumstance that is outside of our immediate control right fear becomes fear becomes a response to an uncontrollable environment or circumstance like I can't I can't contain this I can't control it I have no power in it or over it. And because I don't, because there's, because I am like powerless in the midst of this, like it scares me. I am, I am afraid. A constant, a constant refrain in the Christmas story. Constant refrain. You see this through, well, throughout Scripture, but especially in the Christmas story. Fear not. Fear not. When the angel comes to visit Zechariah and to tell him that he and his wife will be pregnant with John the Baptist, Zechariah, fear not. When, when the angel comes to both Mary and and Joseph. Hey, you're going, to be, you're going to be pregnant with the Son of God, the Messiah. You should call him Jesus. He's going to save his people from the sins. Fear not. When the angels, the heavenly hosts, appear before the shepherds in the field that night to announce the birth of the Messiah, the birth 
of the Savior, one of the first things that they say is, fear not. Now, I think we could all make a pretty good case for the fact that, like, hey, maybe the angels are saying fear not because um, people aren't usually um, very accustomed to the heavenly hosts showing up on their doorstep to announce something super significant in their lives, right? So maybe it is like a startling fear, right? Fear not, right? But I think what we're going to talk about over the next few weeks is that there is always something deeper to the fear that people are experiencing. And when the host of heaven tells you to fear not, they're not talking about like, hey, don't be startled by my presence. They're talking about, hey, look, there's something like you don't need to fear God is here. God is with you. I've been reflecting on my in the past um, the past several months. I've been working with a new um, with a new counselor, just personally working with a new counselor, and he's been working with me about like asking me questions about, like, Cameron, what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? And I'm like, what do you mean, what am I I'm afraid of? I'm a man. I'm not afraid of anything. <laughs> we, we laugh, right? But then, like, deep inside of us, we're like, I, I don't know. I'm telling you what I'm afraid of. I'm not afraid of anything, man. I'm ready to go. And there is this sense, right, like you get older in life and you're like, yeah, you're not afraid of the things that you maybe you once were. And maybe you wouldn't, you wouldn't call the things that you're afraid of. Maybe you wouldn't say that you are afraid of X, Y, or Z. But when I began to be more honest about like some of the reasons some of the reasons that I, like, when I would get angry, like what my anger was about, my anger was a response of fearfulness in my soul. Not being able to control something. Feeling like anger is my only, anger, anger is the only response that I have in this moment and being able to surrender that fear to the Lord and recognize what that fear is and and, and surrender my will and surrender my, my, the illusion of power that I have over really my life and the circumstances of my life and, and, and swap out the illusion of control and the fear that comes from that with a deep-seated sense of trust in my Heavenly Father. And so one of, the, one of the practices that I've been trying to employ over the last few months of my own life is just this moment of like uh, what my counselor and I have been calling uh, soul, soul silence. Where I allow, even just for a moment, I give myself like, I give myself permission to feel and to know and to recognize all the things that I'm afraid of. Because there's tremendous power when we take the things that we keep in the dark recesses of our soul and we expose them to the light of God. 
They lose their power. They lose their significance. And God begins to heal them and change them and, and move them to healthier parts of who we are. So I wonder if for just a moment, right, in as much as you would allow yourself here to just, if you can understand what I'm saying here when I say, if you could just pause your heart, you just pause your soul, pause your mind for just a moment and allow the Holy Spirit of God to reveal in you what you are afraid of in this season. Because I do believe that we're all afraid of something. And you might not be afraid of the dark anymore. But maybe you are afraid of the seeming loss of control in your life. Maybe you are, as I am, most of the time, deathly afraid of failure. I'm so afraid to fail. Afraid to fail my, I'm afraid to fail my church. I'm afraid to fail my wife. I'm afraid to fail my, fail my, my kids. I'm afraid, I'm afraid to fail my family. I'm, 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 I'm afraid to fail across the board, right? Maybe you're, maybe you're deeply afraid of loss or sickness. If you could pause your soul for just a moment and ask the Lord to reveal in you what you are afraid of. Fear can cause, what I've found, this franticness to your soul. This is like this, this deep emotional feeling, or this deep emotional scurrying about to control the circumstances and make things right. I'm afraid, right? And so emotionally, I get myself worked up. And, and mentally, emotionally, spiritually, even physically, I try to like rearrange the pieces of life really quick. And I, I feel like i got to do something in the midst of or in the face of fear and hoping that that works. But inside, I feel like just this tumultuous churning over of circumstances and fear that it doesn't really seem to get me anywhere. But even like the feeling of movement makes me feel like I'm doing something, right? But then you settle, and then you realize that that frantic, hurrying, emotional hurrying about, deep, it actually didn't do anything. It just kept you busy in the moment, but now you're sitting back in this place of holding everything that you just did, but being tired because of it. And while I'm not, I am, I am nev almost never an advocate for like a hands-off approach to things like fear or anger or your emotional, mental, spiritual well-being. I'm like I, I am. I am not a. Um, I, I am not an advocate for just like all oh, hands-off. Hand, like it has nothing to do with me whatsoever. Like I'll just let someone else or the Lord deal with 
it and change it in me. I'm never, almost never an advocate for that. There I do believe and are learning to believe that there are times and seasons of life where what is needed is for us to stop wrangling for control and begin to learn to surrender and trust. Far, far from it being just some kind of like um, Christianese saying or like some, some spiritual placation, right? I will say this, is that trust, deep trust, not, not, not just like some general benign trust, like I trust that everything's going to be okay. That's not really trust. Trust, trust is seated in a person. I don't, I don't trust that everything is going to be okay because, oh, I know that circumstances, they just always have a way of working them, themselves out, right? No. You see, I do not, we do not, we do not trust in anything other than the love of God for us in Jesus. So when I say that the 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 willingness to to let go of and and stop wrangling for control and embracing trust in our lives. I'm not saying this hands-off approach to trusting the process or trusting that everything's going to be okay. I'm I'm talking about an an active expression of our faith being placed in the person of Jesus, knowing that anything that we put in his hands is safe on our behalf. That there is nothing to fear when who we trust is Jesus. Because he will not mishandle, misuse, or misguide anything that we give to him. And so, learning to not fear is an exercise in trust. And trust is an exercise of growing closer to Jesus. This season and this this lead up into Christmas will be a, a season where where you and I we we search the scripture and we allow the Spirit of God to speak to us about um, letting go of fear and embracing trust and understanding what that means. There are a few uh, there are a few scriptures that I want uh, that, I, that I want us to reflect on um, this morning, and a few like main points that go along with it. So, if trust is the antidote to fear, how do we begin right to express trust, or what is the trust that we need to begin to ex- express? Number one is to trust the presence of God with us. It's become quite easy, right, to... Um, it's been, it's, it can become quite easy to have an assumption of God's separation from us. 
right? That God is far off. That God is far away. That God is not near. Well, within like the season that we're in, right? We're actually we're actually building up to and celebrating a whole a whole season, right? That defies that understanding of God's far awayness from us. That in the in the Christmas story, the the basis, the very foundation for the Christmas story is that God did not see fit to stay far away, but saw fit to come close to us in Jesus. That God's that God's presence is is both guaranteed, exemplified, and foundational to our lives when we trust in Jesus. But it's also foundational to our lives when we are walking through circumstances that do lead us to or that or that do produce fear in our lives the presence of god right one of the most famous psalms that exists within the whole within the whole book of psalms is psalm chapter 23 and in psalm chapter 23 this is oftentimes a, a psalm that you will hear read or that you will read at a uh, for instance at a memorial service or a funeral for something for someone, I, I I read this psalm at all the memorials and funerals that I do, right? hundreds of them, right? It's it's appropriate in that in that time, but but I want to draw attention to a few things from this psalm that I think are significant for living a life of trust in God, trusting in the presence of God, even in the midst of fear. The psalmist David. He writes this. He writes this song. I'll read it. For, read it for you. It's kind of one of those that's written on the heart of the whole world, right? You don't even really need to be familiar with it to have it like resonate with who you are. The Lord is my shepherd; I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters, and he restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So we read a psalm like that, and we're like, wow, David was really reflecting on his own circumstances. He was really, he was really reflecting on his own fear, on his own like, desire to see vindication come into his life because of King Saul's pursuit of him. And, and when I read this, and I want you to read this in this way as well, because I believe it to be true, is that David actually isn't really talking about himself much in this psalm at all. Maybe with the exception of the last verse where he says, Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's really the only time that he purely reflects on himself or his circumstances or his desire for God's intervention in his life in that moment. The rest of the psalm is all about what God is doing. It's all about who God is. He says this... um, If you look at it, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He, it is he who makes me lie down in green pastures. It is he who leads me beside quiet waters. It is he that restores my soul. 
even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Listen, I will fear no evil. Why? Because the Lord is going to make all of my circumstances better. Because the Lord is going to take away every reason that I have to fear. Not what David says. Not the circumstances under which David's faith is being grown in this moment. David was willing to hold and walk in fear. David was willing to hold and walk in the midst of circumstances that were, I mean, in most cases, to be the most dire circumstances that you could face, even though I walk through the valley with the shadow of death. David's like, I will fear no evil. Even in the most uncontrollable of circumstances, even when the shadow of death casts a pall of darkness all across our lives, we will not fear. Why? For you are with me. You are with me. It is not the changing of our circumstances that God uses to drive away fear in our lives. It is the affirmation and the confirmation of his presence with us as we walk in the valley of the shadow of death that, that eliminates the need for fear. I don't need to control the circumstances of this fearful situation because the one with me is Lord of the circumstances. I share, I've shared this story before. I, don't think, I think it was actually fairly recently that I shared it about um, taking one of my kids to bed. And my kids are at that age. Some of, them are at, some of them are at their age where they don't know they're supposed to be afraid of the dark. Right? There's blissful ignorance there. And then some of them are at the age where the darkness is scary. It's incredibly scary. And we have this one hallway in our home upstairs where we, have, we live in a farmhouse that was built in 1890 and one little section of our house has those really short ceilings, right? And so there's no like ceiling lights and anywhere. Like it's just kind of a dark, dark corner of our house, right? And taking one of our, one of my kids to bed every night is always an exercise in uh, trusting God. <laughs> but really what happens, right, is like if all the lights are off, and I, I tell my son, I said, okay, go ahead, and I'm, I'm right behind you. I'm right with you. Just go ahead and walk to your room. We'll, we'll get there together. And I'll walk up behind me, and he'll, be, he'll just stand there. He's looking down the hallway. It's like, um, it's pretty dark down there. I'm like, I know. I'm, like, I'm right behind you, Lil. He was like, hmm. No, I'm not about that life, Dad. Um, I'm like, okay, all right. I will go first. Right. So I, I no, step around him in the hallway, like take his hand, right, and then I walk down the hallway first. It's incredible how something is scary and intimidating and emotionally and mentally looming and large as fear is in the mind and the heart of a child. 
that when their father is present with them, even in the midst of absolute darkness, fear somehow vanishes. Now it's no longer about the darkness that they're walking into. It's simply about like, there is no reason to fear my father is with me. He is with me. And I wonder what we forfeit, what we forfeit in the battle of the things that we're afraid of by not asking the Lord to take us by the hand as we walk through the things that we are most fearful of. Trusting that his presence is with us. Trusting that he has, he's not leaving us. Trusting that even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even though we walk in the midst of a hallway that's really dark, we will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I think King David, uh, who we did a whole series on back a couple months ago, you should go back and listen to it online if you haven't. Um, Listen to it already. Uh, but I think David was, he, he was always a man that was learning to trust in the power and the presence of God in the midst of his fear. As he was learning to trust in the presence of God, as we see reflected here in Psalm chapter 23, but he was also learning to trust in the power of God. Because it wasn't, it wasn't just, right, like with my son, right? It's not just that someone is with him. It's the, it's the measure of the person that is with him in the hall. If his, if his five-year-old sister was with him, there would, still be a, there would still be a measure of fear, right, at walking down the hallway. But, but in my son's eyes, right, I am the most powerful person that he knows. I mean, I get it, you know, like, I get it. <laughs> But, but honestly, like, no, in the eyes of a child, right, who is the most powerful person in the world? It's their father, right? And, and fathers, just an aside, we should, always be, we should always be deflecting that power to the Lord, right? Like, no, buddy, I'm afraid of things in life too, but I trust in the Lord. Okay? So, so it does matter who the person is that is with you who is present in your life in the midst of your fear. And, and, and this was true for, for David, right? Like, yeah, he trusted in the presence of God, but he also, like you and I, we also have to begin to trust and express our faith in the power of God. That, that the one in whom we trust is, is not powerless in circumstance or in life, but is powerful. And David reflects on this in Psalm chapter 46, uh, specifically verses 1 through, 1 through 3. He paints this, this picture of all the great wonders of the created world just crumbling, right? You ever been to the, anyone ever been out like, so you've been to the ocean, right? And you see the waves crashing in and you look out into the vast expanse of the water that is before you and it's like it's it's almost head scratching to understand or to come to grips with the raw power of what you're staring at like mother nature 
so to speak, like the creation of God. Maybe if you've ever been out in the middle of the ocean where you can't see the land, ever been there? You're like, I am vulnerable, <laughs> right? Like, I am not powerful in this moment. Or if you've ever stood at the base, none of like the Allegheny Hills, but if you've ever stood at the base of a real mountain, if you've ever seen the grandness of creation, you begin to understand how legitimately small and powerless we are in the grand scheme of things. But we usually see those things as extraordinarily powerful and somewhat untouchable, right? Like we, we think of things like, oh, the mountain is being thrown into the sea, the phrase that Jesus uses to describe our prayer life, right? Or the earth shaking and crumbling on itself. We, we tend to think of that kind of in symbolic or metaphorical nature, right? Well, yeah, that could never actually happen. The mountain is never going to actually crumble, right? It's never going to be swallowed up in uh, the water because we can't even fathom the power that it would take to see something so grand and mighty be destroyed before our very eyes. And what David in the psalm here says in Psalm chapter 46, verses 1 through 3, he, he begins with this qualification of how in the midst of everything that is grand and awesome and powerful that we see in the world, like the mountains, the, the sea, right? All those grand things that we think are untouchable, when they're all crumbling before us, when the, how about this? When the world is falling apart, it seems, at its very seams. We do not need to fear because we trust in the power of God. God is our refuge and strength, an ever present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. God is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. It doesn't matter what happens. If the earth gives way, if the mountains fall into the sea, if the waters roar and foam, if the mountains quake. I mean, doesn't it sometimes feel like he's reading our diary? Like, because all of the world around us just sometimes feels like it's just crumbling away. That nothing, even the mountains, even the sea is safe from being torn down. That everything, everywhere is roaring and foaming and quaking, and we are left now, here, even in, the, even in this time, feeling like, is anything safe? Is anything okay? Will, will, will anything, like, stand the test of time? In the midst of feeling powerless at the decaying reality of life around us, 
God is our refuge and our strength is powerful. An ever-present help in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Number three, exercise in learning to trust. Learning to trust in the provision of God. We often, when we talk about trusting the provision of God, our mind goes to like, He's going to provide for us financially. God is, God is providing the, our, our daily bread type of thing. That certainly is like, I'm not saying that's not the case, right? But that, that usually is, it's, it, it's usually the extent of our understanding or our, our belief or our process of knowing like, how God is going to provide for us. Trusting trusting God to provide for me when my electric bill is due and I don't have any money left, right? That type of thing. Uh, But God's provision for us goes far beyond um, just the money in our checking account or the things that we have or or that we don't have. Because, Because when I, like, when I need... Something to survive the day. When I need something to survive the holiday. When I need something to survive the relationship. When I need something to survive the circumstances or the sickness. Or when I need something to survive the loneliness. Or when I need something to survive the addiction or the fear or the pain, or the anxiety, or the depression. When I need something to survive that, the question is, where is that going to come from? When I need something to survive it. And if we don't, if we don't believe, if we don't begin to express trust that God is a one who provides for us in the midst of our needs, right? Then what do we do? We end up wrestling control back of that situation and say, like, I need to provide for myself what I need in order to make this circumstance, this situation, this relationship, this holiday, this anxiety, this fear, this loneliness, this addiction, this depression. I need to provide for myself what I need in order to take the next step in life. And that struggle for control and that wrangling of control and that and that um, that intention to provide for ourselves is the quickest way to give ourselves the exact thing that we don't need. <laughs> Which is, again, wrestling lordship of that situation back so that we don't have to fear. I'm afraid of who I, I'm afraid of who I am without that. But the Lord promises to provide. Not just the things that we need to pay our bills, but the things that we need in order to be well, in order to be blessed, in order to make it through that next day, in order to endure that next conversation. The prophet Isaiah, who was a prophet that wrote um, 
really extensively about the coming of the Messiah and Jesus. Uh, writes these words in Isaiah chapter 41. Isaiah 41, verses 10 and 13. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed. I am your God. Dismay, I am your God. Fear, I am with you. Let me show you how I'm providing for you in the midst of these situations. I will, the Lord says, I will strengthen you and I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Verse 13. For I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, do not fear. I will help you. God is faithful in his presence and in his power to significantly provide every bit of strength that we need for what we face now. So maybe if you would pause one more moment again as we close here. Pause to ask the question to the Lord. Don't ask yourself, right? Because we are great. We are great at deceiving ourselves. Pause to ask the Holy Spirit for a moment. Lord, what am I afraid of? As you're holding that, as you're holding that thing right now, holding it in your heart, holding it in your spirit. I'm going to ask the band to come back up and lead us in worship, but I want to pray over you as you hold that thing right now. So don't don't turn your don't turn your attention from it. That, that thing that the Holy Spirit revealed in your this is what I'm afraid of. Heavenly Father, you have revealed in our hearts, Lord, that we hold fear. Lord, and we, we, sur- we surrender and, and, and reveal that fear to you, Lord, willingly. Lord, knowing that we are not abandoned in the midst of holding our... We are not abandoned in the midst of our fear. 
Lord, that you will provide for us everything that we need. Help, encouragement, support, healing, process. Brothers, sisters, loved ones, prayer. Lord, that you will provide for us what is needed in order to trust you in the midst of our fear. Lord, because you are powerful, because you are strong, because there is nothing in all of creation, even if the mountains were to fall into the heart of the sea, even if the earth were to give way, even if the waters roar and foam and the mountains quake and all of life is sitting before us just disintegrating and decaying into nothingness, Lord, you are powerful. And Lord, in the most incredible way, your power has become accessible to us through your presence in our lives. Lord, when we talk about trust, about learning to trust in you, Father, it just seems like such a, what does that even mean? How do I even begin to do that? What is the step I take? Lord, in, in, in a world where everything is just a three-step process to getting better, Lord, would you help us to reject that? So that in our quest to scurry around emotionally to destroy our fear, we would instead just embrace a quietness, Lord, that makes room for us to experience your presence. Would help us to make room to hear and know and experience that you are like literally right here with us. fear, Father, because not for one second will we be separated from you. Not for one moment. death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from your love that is expressed to us in Christ Jesus. Lord, may these affirmations be the affirmation of our heart. May they be the prayer of our heart every moment of every day for the next week. 
Lord, that we are going to trust, trust your presence with us, Lord, that we are going to trust your power over all of creation, including our circumstances, and that, Lord, we are going to trust that you will not leave us with no way out, with no options, with no, like, ability um, to, to defeat this, Lord, that you will provide for our every, that you will take our hand, Lord, that you will be our God, that you will be our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in times of trouble. We trust you, Jesus. Show yourself to 